How's the most dangerous group in Columbus, Ohio doing? Dangerous to the enemy, in case you're uh, watching and you don't understand the context, because this is a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. Am I right? All right. Well, today we are going to continue a series, Guts, Grace, and the Gospel. So we're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus, and I'm still not joking. We're still going through Leviticus. Hasn't it been awesome? Isn't Leviticus good? Hopefully you wouldn't tell. Hopefully you wouldn't say it. Hasn't it been awesome? No, not really. It's just been. It's been. It's been kind of low level. We're not really enjoying it. But all right. Well, hey, um, I got some good news for you. Whatever your need is today, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, financial, relational, your solution is found in a greater revelation of Jesus. It's not found in like, hey, here's some principles and you can use your willpower to apply. Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. I didn't say you need more facts about Jesus. You need a revelation. You need the Holy Spirit to unveil Jesus because when I see Jesus, I see more clearly who I am. You know that you've been made one with him. Okay, so when I, now I'll have a picture of what's available, and now I can overwhelm any uh, situation that I have with the kingdom of God. So whenever Jesus is unveiled, the poor prosper, the weak will be made strong, the sick will be healed. I love Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news. Jesus was anointed to preach good news to you. So whenever Jesus is preached, he's, you're going to hear good news over your finances, over your life, over your marriage, over your... Are you guys hearing this? So I, got, so I got some good news for you. There's more good news coming today. So if you turn me to Leviticus chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 3. Jesus is called in the Bible the Alpha and Omega, which was the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the A to Z or uh, if you're Canadian or British, the A to Z. I will just I will go ahead and go cross-cultural there. Here's what he's saying. He's saying every single word in the Bible points to him. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but in Luke 24, uh, Jesus, he's walking with some disciples. He's been crucified. He's risen from the dead, but he's hiding himself from them in, uh, in the spiritual form that he's in. So he's walking with the disciples, and it says, um, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. This is absolutely amazing. This is like the ultimate Bible study. Jesus is like saying, hey, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, beginning with them and going through all the Old Testament, he said, all of those things pointed to me. Okay? I love how the Passion Translation puts um, Luke 24, 27. Then Jesus carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained that the writings of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth of himself. Jesus is literally showing every page of scripture is about me. And so with that in mind, we've been taking it, we've been looking at how does Leviticus point us? Well, all this guts and fire and blood and smoke and fat of this and that and priests doing all sorts of stuff. Like, how does this all point to Jesus? And uh, I had a seminary professor who said this, uh, Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. So we're going to see as we're going through this, there's no insignificant details about Jesus here. And so I can just imagine as Jesus got to the five Levitical offerings, which we've hit two of them, we're going to hit number three this week out of five, you can just say, guys, all of these things pointed to what I'm about to do on the, or actually at that point, what he did on the cross, because he already died and rose from the dead on that one. So these five sacrifices are five different snapshots of what the cross of Christ did. There's no one sacrifice that can picture the totality of what Jesus did. It's so vast, it's so wonderful, it took several different things to represent it here. So, with that said, Leviticus chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the third offering. The first offering was the burnt offering. <clears throat> uh, the second offering was the, it rhymes with rain, 
Grain offering, there it is. And here we're coming to the third offering, the peace offering, sometimes called the fellowship offering, sometimes called the Thanksgiving offering. And so, uh, so we're going to look at this one. But these first three are called sweet savor offerings. We see throughout Scripture when this offering is burned and it goes up for the Lord, it says it is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay? So the, why are these uh, offerings so sweet? Because these offerings remind him of his son. Okay, when he smells these things, he's reminding of his son. Jesus is what pleases God, not our works, not our goodness, or anything like that. Now, the, the next two offerings we're going to be looking at, the sin offering in, in a couple weeks and the, and the um, guilt offering, those were not sweet savor because they reminded God of your sin. Okay, so now here we are where God is being reminded of us, and these first three offerings are voluntary. And so once you were in right relationship with God with the sin offering and the guilt offering, these, these ones were just people who, out of their, uh, out of their own love for God, wanted to, wanted to offer something, wanted to come in fellowship with him. And so here we go to these. And Jesus is obviously the fulfillment of all these offerings, okay? So let's just review real quick. Remember the burnt offering? And so uh, it's, it's like the opposite of the sin offering. If you remember, we bought up a, a young bull. Daniel, our brave volunteer, came up here. And in the sin offering, the, the person making the offering would lay their hands in the bull, and the representation was all of my sinfulness, all of my uncleanness will be transferred to this animal. The animal will be killed in my place, and I would walk away free. That's the sin offering. That'll be in a couple weeks. But um, in the uh, burnt offering, is actually the reverse. It was a perfect male animal, and I would lay my hands, and here's the symbolism, all the perfections, all the delight, all the favor that, that, Jesus had, that the Father has over Jesus. He delights in his son. He's perfect. All of that perfection now gets transferred to me. And as this thing is burnt up, it says it becomes an atonement, and it becomes a covering over my life, and God is pleased. I want you to think about that. In the burnt offering, part of the Christ, God delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. He's not judging you based on your works. He's judging you based on Jesus' works. I'm not saying your actions don't have consequences. I'm saying sin changes your relationship with uh, the devil. It doesn't change your relationship with God. Well, hold on. Doesn't God get angry? No, he took that all out in Jesus. He doesn't get angry at you. Romans 5, I think it's verse 4 in the Passion Translation, says, You will never experience the wrath of God. I mean, no, you maybe might need to change some of our theology here a little bit. Once you're in Christ, once you're outside, I mean, if you're outside of Christ... Um, different set of uh, covenants going on for you. But once you are united with Christ, you're forgiven forever. Hebrews 9 says you have eternal redemption. I mean, we talked about this for six months last year. It's all we talked about. It's just, it's just good news. The grain offering was really a way to celebrate God's goodness. And so uh, there was three types of bread representing that we need Christ in our three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And so today, let's look at the peace offering here. When a person, they wanted to praise God, they wanted to fellowship with God. God had done something wonderful for them. They just were thankful. They wanted to come. We see David offering these like crazy throughout the book of Samuel. You're not going to understand the book of Samuel unless you understand. Why is David? Because he's continually offering praise. He's continually being thankful before him. So when you wanted to praise God or just hang out with God, just fellowship with God, and you wanted to do it with other people as well. We're going to see part of this offering is for God, but part of it we go and we share God's goodness with other people. This is a crazy offering here. That's what you did in the, um, in the peace offering here. Okay? And so uh, it's always accompanied by a meal. Okay? And so Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Here we go. How many churches in America are reading an entire chapter of Leviticus? I don't know today, but we are. Okay? 
Chapter 3, verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Now, why are we having this offering? If I want to have, because I have peace with God. You got to get this. I'm not making peace with God. See, all the other religions of the world, they're bringing an animal to their God because the God is angry, and if he sees blood, then he won't be angry anymore. That's not how our God's doing it. God is saying, because I want to have a relationship with you, I'm holy, I'm just, but I'm also loving. So the peace offering is not us bringing it to God. It's God bringing it to us, saying, I want to have fellowship, but here's how we have to do it, because I'm also holy. God's not impressed with the blood of bulls and goats. I mean, you can see in Isaiah chapter 1, God's like, um, your offerings, they stink. They're a stench in my nostrils because you're just going through the rituals. I'm after your heart. So every single one of these offerings, it had a faith element attached. It wasn't just cutting up this goat so God's not angry. No, no, no. Um, God wanted to have a relationship with you, so he's saying, here's the way to come to me. And so you would attach your faith to it. And the blood, uh, it says that God would pass over. It provided a covering. So the blood, God would look towards the day when his son would ultimately fulfill it. And so his anger towards sin, his justice. Guys, you don't want a God who doesn't punish sin. I mean, there's nothing that makes our blood boil more than when we see something in the news where there's just an injustice, where something is just done wrong and the person goes free. Like, that is not right, okay? Now take that and amplify it a billion times, and that's God. He's not one who's like, ah, all right, I know you killed somebody. I know you, you know, it's, it's, we want a God who punishes sin, but it's, the cross is where the love of God and the justice of God met. God's like, I need a sacrifice, but I'll provide it for you. So you have to get these. These offerings are God coming to us, not us coming to appease an angry God. It's a loving God saying, hey, we can still hang out, but we have to do it so that everything is satisfied. I like how he says it's neither male nor female. You know, it's interesting, and um, all the other sacrifices, because they're, uh, you know, all the other sacrifices, it was a male. But here we see that um, when it comes to having fellowship with God, you don't have a special status if you're male or female. Anybody can come to God. It's male or female. We all come as equals in worship and fellowship with God. Verse 2, And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. What was the tent of meeting? It was where the manifest presence of God was dwelling, right in the middle of the camp of Israel. I mean, can you just imagine? There's a pillar of fire at night. So imagine you're (laughs) offering your sacrifice at night. You're right here in this altar. Fire. Presence. There's a cloud. A cloud during the day. So you can imagine this scene here. <laughs> I mean, like, ooh, ooh hello. <laughs> hello beyond that curtain. <laughs> Pillar of fire. And he shall lay his head on, the, on this offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw blood against the sides of the altar. Here is this person. They're identifying with Christ. They're recognizing it's because of what Jesus has done here. There's, there's this, this is where that faith element comes. And you have to understand, wherever there is the blood of Jesus, man has legal access to so you'll see throughout these sacrifices, they're splashing blood everywhere. Here it is, right before the entrance of the tent. What's the symbolism there? Is uh, where the blood is. Can you, you can imagine this? Is uh, they're they're getting ready to have a peace offering. You're going to see this. Is, they're going to be eating this meal uh, with Jesus here. And here here's the symbolism: is I've got access to Him. I've got because I have peace with God. I now have access to Him. It's interesting here, the, uh, the peace offering, it's offered with the offerer's own hands. Now, normally the priest did it. 
because of everything was symbolizing Christ did everything for us, right? But in this thing, Christ can't fellowship with God for you. I want you to see it. Normally, right, like you'd hand it to the priest. The priest would do everything. Now, in this offering, you're actually involved in it. You're going to be seeing it. It's going to be in your hands. We're going to get to that in just a second. Jesus can't build your history with God for you. He can provide all the access, all the benefits, the burn offering, the sin offering. He can do all those things, but he can't make you give thanks. He can't make you fellowship with him. That's something that you have to do voluntarily, not mandatory. You have to acknowledge his goodness in your life. You have to feast upon Jesus. We're going to see in a second that they're going to, they're going to eat this, this, uh, this animal that they brought. God doesn't force feed you. It's a voluntary offering. Verse 3, and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, insides, guts, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys. We should just memorize this passage. Isn't this just powerful here? <laughs> then Aaron's son shall burn it up on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I want to thank the, the tech guys. I forgot to hit send on my email with all the scriptures, and so they jumped on it this morning. So thank you, tech guys. Uh, tech ninjas. There we go. So you're like, Jim, like, what's all this fat? Because in America, like, fat isn't as desirable uh, of a thing here, right? It's not like, yeah, this is awesome. So, and, and the Bible, the fat uh, represents the best parts. It represents the richness, okay? I could go and show you the scriptures, but let's just leave it at that. Verse 6, if his offering is for a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, it is an animal from the flock, male or female. So the first instructions were from the herd. Yeah, that would be, be like a, um, a bull. And so uh, now from the flock, it's going to be a lamb or a goat. It's going to be pretty much the same instructions, but I'm going to go ahead and read them to you, so just so you see what we're doing. So he's saying, um, basically he's going to be saying, you can bring any kind of animal. It's going to be awesome here. Uh, if he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. I want you to see this. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, do this ritual. Everything was before the Lord. They were recognizing the reality as I'm literally interacting with God. I'm offering up this animal, and it's gonna, the symbolism is going to be it's like God is feasting on Jesus, and then you're going to see we're going to go feast on Jesus. Jesus is the meal that satisfies both God and man. Verse 9, I think that's where I'm at. Verse 9, then uh, from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer it as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail. Cut it off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fats on the entrails. So there's this specialized eastern uh, version of sheep. I guess they got this massively fat tail. They got a huge rump, okay? And so in between, like, the, the, the marrow and the skin, it's just, like, massively fat. And so it's like, hey, remember, all these best parts are going to God. There's going to be some symbolism there in just a second. So they offer the rump of the animal, the best meat. Verse 10, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, and he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Verse 12, if his offering is a goat, so we saw the herd, we saw the, uh, uh, the flock, and now he's, he's even letting in the goats here. Then he shall offer it before the Lord. Just, just get the big picture here. And lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. So a lot of these things are repeated for the different kinds of offerings. 
Verse 14, then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the loins along the lobe of the, the long lobe of the liver and he shall remove with the kidneys. So you're taking out all the guts with all the fat, with all the best parts of it and this is all going to the Lord. All the fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever through your generations in all your dwelling places that you shall eat neither the fat nor the blood. Okay? So again, uh, the, the, this offering you could give any animal as long as it was as clean, as, as long as it was clean, God's like, I'm taking it. Here's the picture. If you give a genuine thanks of worship to God, he, accept, he accepts it. You don't have to be perfect. If you just focus on the burnt offering, that thing needs to be perfect. We're going to get depressed in a hurry. Most animals have some kind of blemish in them, right? And so Jesus was the only one who could fulfill that. But he says, when you're bringing your offering of thanks, if it's genuine, anything will do. This is a symbol of our thanks that God accepts. If you do it in faith, God accepts it. It's interesting, uh, in Leviticus 7, I I can't remember if we're going to get there, but you could actually offer bread as part of this offering as well. So it didn't matter your status. I mean, it's like, you know, Expensive, medium, low grade. God's like, if it's done in faith, I accept it. So they took the very best part of the offering and they burnt that. And so somehow to the book of Leviticus, these, uh, to me it wouldn't be a big sacrifice to give up not eating the kidneys, the long lobe of the liver, you know, like all the, all the fat around them. To me, like, I don't know about you, like, I, I, I gag when it comes to like, those fatty pieces of meat. Like, it's not like a super good thing. I remember I hated fat so much, I, I thought scrambled eggs had fat in them. And so like, the, you know, I had like, the white part. So I would gag eating eggs as a kid. My parents would make me eat it. and It was very traumatic, and I'm, I'm actually feeling some healing just talking about this. So. <laughs> so thank you for that. But remember, to the Jew in Leviticus... This is the best part of the meat. I mean, um, today we might think of the fat marbled meat as the rich meat, the prime cut, and uh, that's what this symbolism is still portraying here. So the richness of life comes from God and belongs to God. Here's Here's a way of saying it. All that is rich and enjoyable, that comes from God and belongs to God. That's the picture there. God, all the best things in life, they come from you. I love how James 1 says it. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. That's what they're doing. They're recognizing, God, everything perfect, everything good, all the best stuff, it comes from you and is for you. That's the symbolism there. I love how tactile these lessons are. I mean, I mean, this is, isn't just like some abstract thought. When the rabbis, where they would teach their young kids uh, about the word of God, you know, they would start training them. They would begin memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Army. They typically have it memorized by age eight. They would start when they were six years old. They didn't have books. They didn't have iPads. They had to just hear it and repeat it in their minds over and over again. I love what the rabbis did. They took a tablet, and they would pour honey on it. And they would say, dip your, um, dip your fingers in the honey. And they would lick the honey. And they would say, may the word of God be as sweet to you as honey. It was the sweetest thing that they had. They didn't have sweeteners. They didn't have all this artificial stuff. It was the sweetest thing. It's so what they're doing. They're linking the sweetness of that honey with the goodness of God's word. Okay, you see how, the, how these lessons, they were, they were so visual, they were so tactile. And this is the same thing as saying the very best things in life, we want, we want you to recognize we're connecting that with God himself. Everything that delights a person from within is from God, belongs to God, and comes to God. Okay? And so always understanding uh, the, the, the Jew, that this, this giant brazen altar was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle, that this was a fellowship table with the Lord. Remember, this isn't just some sacrifice butcher table. They're recognizing I'm coming. What are they doing it? Before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. 
and they looked at it, and now God is going to receive it. So here's the symbolism. They would take all the guts, the kidneys, the liver, all the fat from around it, and that part would get burned up. And here was the picture. Is, is as it went up in smoke, the picture was God was accepting it and consuming it. So God is feasting on Jesus. God is accepting the sacrifice. But now something interesting happens. What happens to the rest of the animal? Leviticus 7, verses 28 through 34. Are we okay? I feel like I'm talking fast here. Oh, it's because I am. My feelings aren't lying in this case. Okay. Trust your feelings, Luke. That was my imitation of Obi-Wan in his spirit form from episode 6. Okay. Leviticus 7, verse 28, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings, we're going to get a couple more regulations here, to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast, and the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give the priest as a contribution. Uh, this word contribution is a little bit unfortunate. So uh, I think the New American Center says a presentation. I like the way the King James says it. It's a heave offering. You're going to see what we're going to, we're going to go through it here in just a second. But you're actually heaving it up and down. Up and down. While the other one you're waving back and forth. Boy, there's going to be some stuff in that. It's so good. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution, as a heave offering from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Remember, we're looking at the fat goes to God. What happens to the rest of the animal here? Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is presented or heaved, I have taken from the people of Israel out of their sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as the perpetual due from the people of Israel." So this is, the, um, this is the picture of, uh, I mean, this is actually how the priest got fed, was from these offerings here. But here's the, here's the richness here. Because I have peace with God, I'm celebrating his goodness. I'm celebrating him. I'm so thankful. I want a fellowship with him. So I'm giving all the best parts to God, and God is consuming those. God is eating those things on the table. So God's already eaten his part. But now the priest is going to feed on different parts of Jesus. So God is feeding on Jesus. Who are the priests today? Where are the priests? We're the priests, okay? And so the priests, they take two pieces here. The breast of the animal, the breast represents the love and affection of God. They were to feed on this. I want you to get this picture. And so um, the, uh, the priest would take the breast of this animal and he would put it in the offerer's hands. It's now the offerer is holding the breast of the animal. Then the priest would put his hands underneath the offerer's hands and it said they would wave it before the Lord. Here's this picture. From the beginning of my life, Till the end of my life, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, from everlasting to everlasting, your love and affection is over every area of my life. And he said, what do they need to do? We need to feast on that. And then the priest would come and he would take the thigh. Some translations say shoulder. Um, the government will be upon his shoulder. It's a picture of the government of God, the dominion of God. The thigh, let's just say it's the thigh. It's the strength. It's the power of God. So here he would take it, and he would hold it up over and over again and say, God, over every area of my life, you reign. The Lord reigns. It says that as they would do these things, it would be, the rabbis tell us they would be with shouts of joy. 
so thankful for who he is, and so they're waving about his love and affection. They're proclaiming, every area of my life, your power and your strength, your dominion is over every area of my life. And as they're going horizontal, and as they're heaving vertical, they're literally making the sign of the cross. The peace offering is the only offering that makes it through to the New Testament. It was fulfilled in Jesus, it gets transformed, but Hebrews 13 calls it the, um, uh, the praise from the fruit of our lips. It's the peace offering. The literal translation is the bull of our lips. Look at the margin of your Bible, it'll give you a reference in Hosea. You go over to Hosea, and it says that the, um, it gives you a picture here of, of its, what's the picture? Is we're, in, in worship, we're coming through this animal. It's because of Jesus, and it's through Jesus. Guys, the only path to God is Jesus. There's many paths to Jesus. People start off Buddhist, they start off Mormon, they start off atheist, they start off this and that. Once they find Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way. Buddha ain't going to save you. Your good works, your, your, the positives outweigh the negatives, that ain't going to save you. Okay, There is no other name. Uh, Muhammad ain't going to save you. Okay, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Okay, so I love this picture. I mean, you can see that now it makes sense. The bull of our lips makes no sense. But now when you understand the peace offering, this is how we come to God in praise is through the bull, through Jesus, through this thing that we're, this animal that we're waving and heaving before our lives. Isn't that powerful? And the Psalms, when it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary, what are they doing? They're giving a wave offering. So we as charismatics, we think that, you know, when we raise our hands, it's a sign of surrender. It is that, but that's not where it came from. Where it came from is your ancient Jewish roots with these Israelites, who in the presence of God with a pillar of fire, with a cloud by day right in front of them, they would come and recognize God's goodness, and they would lift up their hands in the sanctuary, the psalmist says. What were they doing? They were through Jesus coming and recognizing the goodness of God over the life, his love and affection, his power and his government. Can we lift up our hands in the sanctuary? I mean, come on. David says this, your loving kindness is better than life. That's why when I bless you, I will lift up my hands in your name. What's loving kindness? It's the covenant love of God where he says, I'm going to be this for you because of my son. I will never break it. You may break it, but I'm not going to change. And David says, when I think about this, it's better than everything else in life, and I have to bring a thankfulness offering. I've got to bring an offering, and I lift up my hands in the sanctuary. And David feasted on this reality. The two aspects of the life of Christ that we are to feed on are the breast and the thigh. The love and affection of God over our life and the power and strength of Jesus in our life. In Deuteronomy 12, we find out that they actually took the meal home. And so uh, the best parts went up to God the priest feasted on the lamb, and on the breast, and on the thigh. But then the rest of it, you went and took home and had a party with your friends. You invited the poor. You invited, uh, you invited your friends, and you would say, you would begin to talk about the goodness of God and what he had done in your life and why you were thankful. They're sharing testimonies in the presence of God and feasting on that as well. It's interesting, the, uh, the Gentiles, they weren't allowed to come to this. They were defiled. They were outcasts. They couldn't partake in any offerings. And what was the criticism that the... Um, that the, uh, that the religious people had about Jesus. This man breaks bread with sinners. 
Remember I told you part of the uh, peace offering could be bread. And you would take it home. And you would share it with your friends. And you would talk about the goodness of God. What was Jesus doing? He was giving away the goodness of God and the offering of God to people who didn't fit the religious system. The Gospel of John, it says that Jesus, uh, before he did the miracle, it said he gave thanks. The next chapter, when John looks back on the miracle, uh, he doesn't talk about the miracle. He says, it's the place where Jesus gave thanks. To John, Jesus giving thanks was a bigger deal than the miracle of feeding the 5,000. That's the place where Jesus gave thanks. The Jews are like, why is Jesus giving thanks? Like, 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 like nobody's done anything for him. No one's doing anything. But why? Because Jesus was giving thanks and breaking the bread for everybody else. Jesus is the peace offering. He is the one who was give the offering. So when Jesus is giving thanks and he's feeding sinners, he's breaking bread with sinners, when he's multiplying that bread, what's he doing? He's giving away the peace offering. You too can have peace with God. You too can have fellowship with God. You who are far away, you who don't deserve it, you who are outside the covenants, you too can become near. That's why the Canaanite woman, who was a Gentile, she couldn't take in the offerings. What did she want? She wanted some bread. She couldn't take uh, part in the peace offering. And, uh, Jesus, and she says, Jesus, I'll eat the crumbs that fall from the table. What's the crumbs that fall from the table? The brazen altar. The bread. Jesus says, woman, you've got great faith. He says, you actually recognize the spiritual significance behind this peace offering. You see that it points to the Messiah. And he says, woman, you've got great faith. It's not about ceremonial uncleanness. I mean, this lady, she was a Canaanite. Uh, she was from the wrong tribe. She was from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, she was from the wrong region. She was married to a Greek. Wrong marriage. Her life was me- as messed up as you could get as far as the Old Testament law was concerned. She broke every law, and that's why, she, that's why the disciples were like, Jesus, send her away. She's icky. She, like, like, she's gross. She's unclean. Like, send her away. Um, but what happens is Jesus says, no, no, no. She actually understands the peace offering. The peace offering is always about inclusive community. It's always about bringing those, the poor, those who can't afford it, those who don't know about goodness, let's bring them around and let them partake in the person of Jesus just as much as the priests and just as much as the Father. He says, woman, you've got great faith. And she was included in it, just like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and Zacchaeus. All the people Jesus ate with, they weren't allowed to give offerings, but Jesus says, I'm going to give them with you. Everyone can have fellowship with God through Jesus. Isn't that good news?